Woodstock. Deadheads. The Village. Kate Ashbury. Counterculture. Women's Lib. Karma. Enlightenment. <laughs> sound familiar or sound foreign? That's okay. Join us, the two old fogey yogis, as we reminisce, discuss our spiritual paths, and explore all things yoga, meditation, and more. Your hosts each week are Swami Yashokananda and Reverend Prem, who between us have nearly a hundred years of living La Vida Integral Yoga. And that's what makes us the two, two old fogey yogis. <laughs> So in today's episode, I thought we could talk about an aspect of yoga that most people know about if you're studying integral yoga or classical yoga, it's the yamas and niyamas. I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding about some of these yamas and niyamas. So I'm not sure we'll get through everything today in this episode, but we can always do a part two if we need to. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so let's get started. All right, so probably we should first say for those who maybe are not familiar with the Patanjali yoga system, that it is an eight limb system of yoga, and it's really a methodology. It's not a philosophy. Patanjali's assuming you already know the philosophy mm -hmm. of the Upanishads, yoga, the Puranas, Samkhya yoga, you've got all of that philosophy. Now he's going to say, so, okay, if you want to realize the goal of these philosophies, it's about self-realization, mm -hmm. realizing the Atman, who we really are, called by Brahman, Samadhi, Nirvana, yeah. different names for yeah the system. Because of that Kaivalya, uh, total liberation, yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. in Patanjali's system, it's Kaivalya. Mm -hmm. In some of the other traditions, it's Moksha. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. And in Buddhism, it's Nirvana. And so there's different names, but basically we're going the same place. Yeah. So Patanjali's system is eight limbs. In Sanskrit, that's Ashtanga, not to be confused with the Hatha Yoga method of Ashtanga. Right. It's also called Raja Yoga, the Royal Yoga. Let's just review what these eight limbs are just quickly. And that is found in Sutra 229 of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is the systematized methodology that Patanjali has drawn from the various wisdom texts and moksha traditions. What he did was not invent yoga. Somebody's he's called the father of yoga, but it, he's not really the, he's the systematizer. Yeah, of this, codifier. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word too. Yeah. Codifier of this particular system, which is a methodology for self-realization. And the steps that he outlines include these eight different limbs. So it starts with yama abstinences, and niyama observances. So this is sort of your ethical foundation for the system, mm -hmm. right? And if you are not putting these in place, Patanjali's basically saying, you know what? Don't bother going through the rest. Not going to help you. Okay. And that's what we're going to focus on today. It could even be detrimental or problematic if you start awakening your energy through asana and then even more seriously through pranayama, but you don't have a clean mind and heart, then it's better that you didn't awaken that energy. Yeah, that's really a key point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And that's why this is number one and number two right, yeah. on this eight limb system that he's giving us, like get your house in order first, or not that you have to have everything perfectly in order, but that that's where your heart is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's the direction of your life? But get clear about the direction yeah. what you're heading toward, what you call the vision. Yeah, get clear about the vision and then let's start practicing, yeah. Yeah, and so then we get to the third limb, which is the physical practice, right? Asana. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth is pranayama, which is working with the breath. Fifth is pratyahara, which is mastery of the senses. Then the sixth limb is dharana, concentration. So that's working with your mind to get moving towards a one-pointed mind, which is what you're going to develop in the seventh and eighth steps mm -hmm. of seventh being dhyana, meditation. And then eighth is samadhi, which is an unbroken flow of one-pointed meditative awareness. Anything we should add to that overview? Oh, it's beautiful uh, how he he saw this step by step, these angas, these limbs. It makes it so clear and relatable. I think that's why Gurudev felt it was very easy for Westerners to grasp this eight limb system. Yeah, it's very accessible, very yeah. clear. Yeah. You know, here's what you do one, two, three, four, right? Yeah. Then, of course, we find out it's a lot more subtle and nuanced than that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so looking at Sutra 230, so again, just for those unfamiliar, so this Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, Swami Satchidananda translated and did a commentary, which is probably the most studied book of the Yoga Sutras that most yoga students and teachers actually are trained in because he makes it so accessible and makes it so easy to understand with real life examples and applications and all those good things. Yeah, many teacher trainings use that book. Yeah, the book has four parts to it and they're called padas in Sanskrit. And you can translate that roughly like sections, books, chapters, whatever. So, okay. So when we say 230, that means the second chapter or book, second pada, and the 30th sutra. And the sutras are small thread-like aphorisms that really need a good translation and commentary because remember, this is Patanjali several thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. you know, putting this together. And for, and we should also say his audience is quite different than today's yoga student. Yeah. Then it was, you're studying this because all you want is self-realization and you have a lifestyle that Patanjali says is necessary in order to follow all this and reach this goal. And that lifestyle is basically renunciation. You are a renunciate. You're probably a forest dweller. You are not a householder. You're just, this is what you're doing 24 seven. Yeah. You're not wearing Lululemon leotards and hoping you can pass your exam to get your certificate, $200 certification. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but today, of course, you can adapt the Yoga Sutras to modern yoga living, but we should understand where it comes from, a little bit of the history. 
Yeah. And we'll see how we can adapt it as we get into these yamas and niyamas. So, okay. So starting with Sutra 230, Patanjali gives us an overview of the yamas. These are made up of nonviolence, truthfulness, non-stealing, continence or celibacy, and non-greed, meaning we're, we're going to abstain from violent behavior, not being truthful, stealing, just being overly indulgent in the senses, greedy, all those things. Mm-hmm. We're saying, yeah, not for me. I want to be a yogi. You'll be too dissipated if you don't follow the yamas. Uh, you won't have the energy to pursue the path properly. Yes. Something we should also remember is that this is something Gurudev points out in his commentary that each of the eight limbs is equal to the others and necessary, right? It's not like, okay, yeah, I think I'll take one from column A and one Mm. from column B. And, oh no, that's only dhyana. Meditation is important. That this other limb is a little less important. No, they're all equal and necessary. Yeah, I you can't say one limb on a ladder is more important than another limb. That you don't want to skip any of the limbs. Yeah, you fall yeah. flat on your face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why when people you know do avoid the first two limbs, uh, they usually have to come back and start again. Yeah. Okay, so ahimsa. So let's look at the first yama, and that is ahimsa, usually translated as nonviolence, right? And Gurudev makes the point, it's more than non-killing. It's not causing pain. Mm -hmm. Even by your words, your thoughts, you can cause pain. I think where it gets tricky is that, you know, sometimes in the name of supporting someone, you have to say things to them that they don't want to hear. I think also, you know, the motive, it becomes crucial that my motive is to support this person. And because I love them even more than I need them to like me, I'm going to try to find the right way to express this. Yeah, that's my responsibility to, you know, combine satya and ahimsa. I'm going to try to speak the truth now to you because I care about you a lot. And I'm going to do it my with all my heart and connect it to your heart. And I I pray that it's not some a painful experience for you. That's so uh, beautiful. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. And it's so tricky because right now I'm in a situation where someone I really care about, a deeply dear friend, is going through a lot of pain. And I feel like I want to say something, but I just like I'm struggling. Yeah. That it feels like no matter what I would say, even if it was coming from a good place, which it is, yeah. I care about the person. I want to support them, but I feel like it's still going to cause them pain because they're not ready to hear. Yeah. Or they don't experience it as helpful and useful. And how do you make your way through that kind of thing? I think the first step is to be very clear. The reason I'm, I want to speak up. Is because I care about this person. And I'm really going to search deeply into my heart that there isn't another motive that I don't want to look at. So I think that's the first step of combining satya and ahimsa. Yeah, we uh, should say satya is the second yama, yeah. which is truthfulness. And yeah. they do. They're, in this 
examples. This is beautiful because they, they really have to work together. Yeah. It's like synergistic or something. I know. Yeah. I know. That's the, the mastery of speech is to, to do those two things, to be truthful and not cause pain. It requires so much clarity of motive and, and care for the person. I do think you're right that we have to assess whether even if we're coming with the pure hearted motive, are they really ready to hear it? They may not be. I think that's what you're going through now. You're, you're, yeah. It sounds like you sounds like you have really searched your motive. Yeah. But uh, but you still hesitate because of their readiness, and it's hard to to judge that. Yeah. You know, I think intuitively you're thinking it may not be the time. Yeah, because it's it does. It takes a lot of self reflection. Is there any possible corner within my own emotional body? that has some other thing going on. I've looked yeah. at it. Is it because, oh, I'll be more comfortable if they're not in so much distress? <laughs> right. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. It'll make me feel better if they're yeah. not in distress. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of people get stuck in, you know, like I want to rescue this person right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's not so much it for me, but mm -hmm. I've been really looking at, is it my own comfort level? Is it, I don't know how to be with someone who is just distressed and doesn't see a way out. And this is, it's not just like a one-time thing. It's sort of an ongoing thing. And then I keep wanting to pull them out. I think one factor is if they're coming to you or not. Yeah, uh, no, they're not. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> if they're coming to us, then we have a little more yeah. liber liberty to... Uh, we still have to do our best, but they are coming to us. If they're not coming to us, if we're proactive in our service, then it requires even more care. Yeah, I mean, Good have used to always say, you know, that ask and it shall be given. You shouldn't <laughs> right. just try to shove things. And I'm not trying to shove anything down the person's throat. It's yeah. like we're just talking and then suddenly they're in a pool of tears. Yeah. So it's just something that comes up as we're talking in a mutual friendship. And then I don't know where to go with it because I've been in the place of like, okay, I'm sorry you're going through this. How can I support you? Da, 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 da. But then when it's just like week after week, month after yeah. month, and it's you see the person just in a depression, sometimes they pull themselves up, but then it's like back down to it, in and out. I yeah. don't know. It just yeah. doesn't seem like they're considering all the I don't know, options or, I mean, sometimes yeah. we can't, clearly we can't change our outer circumstances, right? I mean, if, if yeah. people have learned nothing more from the pandemic, the global yeah. pandemic, yeah. that should be right straight, first and foremost in your mind. Sometimes you can't change the external circumstance, but I feel like we always have the resource within us plus the support of the teachings and our sangha to shift our relationship with that external reality that we cannot yeah. change, you know? Yeah, that's that's the yoga part, yeah. I think, I think everyone has some example of in their life of what you're talking about. For me, it's someone, a very gregarious, uh, extroverted person, but... Whenever you really have a, a serious conversation, you see how angry they are. Yeah. And, and a part of me wants to, you know, get the person to deal with that. And my conclusion is 
is to deal with my own frustration with their inner rage. Uh, oh man, that is so profound. Yeah, I mean, Whoa. I just see how when it, it, it irritates me and, and how they're making themselves so miserable by not being honest with themselves about how angry they are. Yeah. And if I could help in some way, but I think I'm not ready. Uh, I'm not there yet to be that person to help. So I, I'm more accepting the person. They have reason to be angry. I can see that. Yeah. And if ever they want to come to me and talk about it, otherwise it's my problem to work with. That's, so let that's, me, but, but let me ask you this. So, yeah. okay. So it's their problem to work with. And I agree with that. I mean, it is their problem. It's not your problem. It's yeah. their problem. Now, if you're in, and I don't know what your relationship is with that person, but let's say you're in an ongoing friendship relationship with them, like close yeah. friendship, yeah. not yeah. just, Hey, see you once a year, you know? Yeah, this is that would be my situation with the person. Okay, then how do you move from wanting something to be different about the situation for them and for you? Right. And just be with them in a supportive way without trying to maybe change how they're feeling. How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, I can uh, see doing that like one. Okay. Somebody's going through something. They don't want to hear what you have to say about it. Fine. Then they move on and that's not an issue and da, 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 da. And then down the road, maybe something else. But when it's the same kind of thing coming up over and over and over, over years. Yeah. That's my situation. Yeah. Whoa, it is. Okay. So what, what's your view on that? What, what's your approach um i'm trying to be more accepting and not so turned off by this person how they respond to life i'm, I'm working i'm focusing on what's coming up for me mm-hmm. and then and then i am setting some limits i'm saying okay i, I think i got the point uh, or I, I don't need more examples or you know you're starting to repeat yourself okay i will i will start to set certain boundaries where I feel I don't need to be accepting of this any further. I feel that's, I'm not trying to get them to look at themselves so much. And I'm doing that less and less. I do say things here and there like, uh, no, the situation isn't irritating. You're irritated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's but, get uh, that clear. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't do that. I'm careful. I'm more careful about that now because that's coming from my own irritation when I, <laughs> when I when I burst out and say that. You know. <laughs> no, but I mean it's true. And even if you said it, do you feel like even if you said that in a supportive way, if the person isn't really ready to accept, oh yeah, this is my stuff. I can do something about this. I can shift the way I feel about this, then how do you yeah. deal with that? Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's, I think, the thing that is so problematic for me is that the person is so aware and normally and so developed in many ways spiritually that I can't believe that they're not ready to do this, this work that they need yes. to do, the, the core work. It's, right. it's, it's the essence of the work they have to do. They're working on Right. More fringe stuff. That's oh also good. <laughs> but the yeah. core stuff, they, they have this very strong defensive mechanisms to keep them from accepting anyone nudging them in that direction. 
Yeah. And that's what I see too. I think that when you get to a point in your spiritual life, you got the basics and you are doing your practice. You're really on the spiritual path. Your heart is really into it. And then there's these blind spots that then can give rise to this kind of spiritual bypassing thing or avoidance or whatever it is. And it's like, you can't see it because you're too close to your own mind. There's I know, it, yeah. And that's why I do. That's exactly you know, it. You're, you're too close to your own mind. That's, that's exactly the problem, right? Yeah. We've talked about that sometimes it is time to talk to someone else. And yeah. I find for those of my friends who are super smart, there's it's not going to do any good for me to talk to them or another friend or their husband or their wife or their whatever, it's not going to help because they're too darn smart. Yeah. Even their swami. Yeah. Yeah. They're going (laughs) to, they're (laughs) they're going to talk their way around things. And so you need a very skilled facilitator, whether it's a coach or a therapist, or there is a friend who they will really listen to. Yeah. Sometimes it's got to be like an intervention. <laughs> yeah. Like this friend uh, is, is smarter than me. So that's another reason I'm afraid of it. Yeah. Good luck. He can, no. he can, yeah. He, he can talk rings around me and, uh, yeah. and, and I'll become the villain. And <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think in those situations, I really think what you're saying is the really is the most skillful approach is we work on ourselves. Yeah. That's really all we can do. Be as supportive as we can while setting boundaries and pray. Yeah. Pray for this person every day. Yeah. That something will shift within them to where either they'll have the space to see something different or to know that they do need help with it and seek that help. I don't know why therapy gets such a darn bad rap in the spiritual realm. It's consistently been a problem where people think either, oh, therapy, they're just going to prescribe some medication or they're just going to tell you to change your thinking or some superficial thing. It can be, if you find the right person to work with, it can be very catalytic and uncovering of deeper rooted issues, which is what usually are the things that hang us up with the long-term stuff. The things that we really struggle with over years and years, that's usually an indication There's some usually traumatic or deeply Mm -hmm. psychological issue that's going on that is just a hook that keeps you from, it's the ego trying to protect the psyche. In childhood, we don't have the tools to deal with some of the stuff that comes at us. Yeah. And so almost all the stuff we don't have. Yeah. And and that's what the ego's job is just kind of step in and protect the delicate psyche. But what happens is those things get very solidified. And as we get older and then do develop other skills, it's hard to reverse that very calcified almost. (laughs) That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these calcified responses based yeah. on more than being 
here and now current issues have this almost invisible thread. Yeah, the invisible part is is Ooh. it's calcified and invisible. That's yeah, calcified. If we could see it, maybe we could work with it. But right, but the ego keeps it <laughs> invisible because uh, yeah. it's like danger, danger, dangerous territory, and you really have to work with the ego to say, no, I can deal with this here and now. I have these resources now, and I'm going to make use of those to really tackle this issue that has kept me imprisoned in many ways, psychologically, emotionally. Yeah, I think each one of us have this one big issue in this lifetime that is calcified. And if it's not invisible, it's at least hard to see. Yeah. And it brings to reoccurring themes in our life where we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. And those are the, like you're saying, those are the issues that we tend to really not want to look at. And that's where this skillful third person could come in. Yeah. I think it, I think it's like, you know, some people are turned off by spiritual teachers because of some bad apples. Uh, there may be therapists who aren't really that good at what they do. So maybe that's part of the bad name. Yeah. Uh, it's a real skill and it takes quite a competent person to guide someone into those calcified invisible areas. hundred percent. And, and ideally the person should be so fluent with their own inner mm. emotional body mm. and able to really skillfully navigate that kosha, mm. that level of being and have the skill to work with other people in that way, and also to understand spiritual principles, be on the same yeah. page with you. There's nothing worse than going to someone who's like, well, that's not true. It's really important to find someone who shares your values and outlook on life, and ideally even your spiritual understandings. And It seems like they're kind of rare. That there aren't a, a lot of those people who fit all the characteristics you just mentioned. True, but there's wonderful places like the California Institute of Integral mm. Integral Studies. Yeah. In San Francisco, Naropa. They are trained people. It's like a two-track thing. You're trained in, you know, the classical psychology and psychotherapy integrated with spiritual understanding. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That was Trump Rinpoche's genius to, to unite those two. Yeah. And also, I mean, other people. But it's true. It's a law comes out of the, the Buddhist tradition. Mm -hmm. Buddhist psychology is very well evolved. There is a whole yoga psychology, but it kind of fell by the wayside. When I was doing my PhD research, I was at the University of Virginia Library, and they, they had such a great South Asian section. And you go back 18, 1900s, hmm. there were theorists uh, working with all the principles of yoga and Vedanta and Upanishads and all the thoughts and really crafting whole systems and understandings of how to work utilizing these principles with hmm. psychological principles, but hmm. it never gained the recognition okay, yeah. that Buddhist psychology has gotten in the West, uh, especially in the West. Like you say, uh, I think, you know, we, we tend to divide between spirituality and psychotherapy as two separate things. I think that's, there's something unhealthy about that. Yeah. Yeah, because, right, we're psycho-spiritual beings. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah. Just as the body and the mind are not really separate, 
the spirit right. is also not separate. So I think we have to deal with the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there are people who are more trained with the mind. And like you say, if they have some spiritual background and they've done the work on themselves, they can be very useful. Yeah. This was a whole train of <laughs> I know. I'm still talking about ahimsa, yeah. <laughs> Started with ahimsa, but it's yeah. beautiful because ahimsa being that non-harming, we always think of it as external actions. Well, I'm going to be non-violent or I'm going to become a vegan or vegetarian. You know, I'm not yeah. going to harm animals or I don't believe in wars or fighting. But these are death the penalty. Yeah, or the death yeah. penalty. Exactly. Yeah. But these are the subtler levels of what Ahimsa really is about. How to not harm oneself or another mm. in relationship and in our communication, how to have conscious, compassionate communication. Yeah, we stayed on topic, I think, although it was a very interesting, some twists and turns, yeah. Yeah, and this is something interesting that uh, Dr. Edwin Bryant points out, that okay. Yama begins at Sutra 2.30, right? Okay. But then it's not just going straight into, okay, Ahimsa, this, that. I mean, he gives an overview. Right. And... Then at 2.35, we start to get into the individual yamas and niyamas, but there's 10 sutras that show you the boons mm. of what you get yeah. if you follow these things. And for a lot of people, it's really confusing because it's like, okay, let's just take ahimsa. So it says, so in the presence of one firmly established in nonviolence, all hostilities cease. Mm. So why is Patanjali adding in these different things rather than just the virtue? Oh, it's wonderful to be established in nonviolence because that's going to be beneficial for you in so many ways. But he adds in all hostilities cease. That's sort of, okay, boom, 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 pay dirt. That's what you mm. get if you are fully established. What Edwin Bryant was pointing out is like in the Indian philosophy tradition, it's a, it's part of the tradition that you encourage people. These aren't easy concepts to wrap mm -hmm. your brain around, right? Mm -hmm. So right. so they want to encourage you. Here's the great things that are going to happen if you pursue this path. That moves you in that direction to understand that probably a lot of hostility will cease. <laughs> I experienced that in, in our guru's presence. Uh, I could be really feeling not charitable thoughts towards another Sangha member. But when we had our Saturday night satsangs, I, I couldn't hold on to that. By Sunday, it might come back. But Saturday night, I could see how being the presence of someone who has totally nonviolent, that my, my violence towards someone at least was abated. Have you experienced that yourself at all? Yeah, I have. And also, I. I really like Swami Karunananda's story. Mm. I mean, she talks about in terms of the mantra also. She tells this story about how she was taking a walk. I can't remember where it was. But, oh, you know, yeah, was like, I remember, yeah. Yeah, country roads, and yeah. she's just walking along, and suddenly this dog out of nowhere comes charging towards her, like yeah. teeth bared, saliva yeah. dripping, and she's like, this is the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then in that moment, she just remembered, thankfully, <laughs> to yeah. repeat her mantra and to just be established in a peaceful, nonviolent stance towards the dog. 
Yeah. And as the dog got closer, it just sort of slowed down and eventually was just like kind of at her feet, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like yeah. a little puppy dog at her feet. I mean, did that, don't they have pictures of Jesus with the lion, the lamb lying at yeah. his feet? Yeah, yeah. I agree that it's a kind of enticement. I do think there's some truth to it. And, and also that it's a way of me knowing how well I'm progressing if in my presence there's less animosity. Yeah. Without, uh, you know, other people feel less animosity. So I like, I like that section where he, he gives the, the end of the line of if you really follow this. Yeah, it's encouraging. And as we wrap up, I'm really glad we're not just talking, quote, philosophy. I think that, you know, what we have to offer as who are calling ourselves old fogey yogis is not another lecture on yoga or yama niyama is that we can take these the depth of this philosophy and talk about how it's affected our lives i think that's what differentiates our discussions with some other yoga discussions and that's why i enjoy them so much hopefully people find them beneficial agree 100 percent So maybe what we'll do then is in upcoming episodes, we'll just go through one by one and really try to unpack it in in real life situations and maybe in ways that we've found challenging and also Mm -hmm. rewarding and Mm -hmm. what the pitfalls have been and what the successes have been and what we've noted and how it's helped our practices and our lives. I like that approach. Yeah. Let's talk about how we've been impacted by these teachings and what we're learning sounds like a plan that's a plan (laughs) okay (laughs) thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the podcast and will join us again for next week's episode please do follow and subscribe to the podcast via soundcloud itunes spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, pandora and other apps For more information about everything Integral Yoga, you can go to IntegralYoga.org. Om Shanti.